the best piece of advice from a negotiation perspective was always care a lot, but not that much. Let go of the emotional attachment that is involved in that, which is really hard because it comes down to a lot of emotional management. Welcome to Modern Business Operations, where we talk with leaders about how ops is adapting to our modern world. Hey, everybody. Hello and welcome to this episode of Modern Business Operations. I'm your host, Seth Colliner. I'm here today with Mark Raffin, who's the head of training and negotiations ninja. Mark, welcome and thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Seth. Thank you. Well, why don't we start just to share a bit about your background and your current role. I'm especially intrigued that it's so negotiations focused. It's not something I see a lot. Yeah, we're a niche within a niche. The easiest way to think about negotiations ninja is we provide negotiation training to procurement sales teams all over the world to help them get better deals and get more value and reduce risk. And what that means practically is that we provide online or on-site training to those teams and then baseline that skill set and then coach them to get better. Okay, great. That's very, very concise. So in an earlier conversation we had, you, you talked about the importance of people managing their tools and not the other way around, which is a great line. Can you explain what you mean by that? Yeah. I mean, look, I think we've all been in situations where we've seen procurement teams implement, especially ERPs or new systems where the ERP dictates or the new system or the new software dictates the process. So, you know, implement a German named ERP that automatically becomes, this is the way that we do this thing now, instead of the other way around. And then inevitably what ends up happening is you have to adopt a process change that is not uh, good for your business or maybe not conducive to the way that you run your business. And as a result, it adds on additional tasks or additional features or additional things that you didn't want to implement or process changes that you didn't want to implement. And then inevitably that adds on additional costs and additional tasks and it's just additional time. And so what ends up happening is the thing that was meant to become the time saver, was meant to become the process saver, was meant to become the headcount reducer, has now become the thing that actually accelerates and increases those things in areas that you didn't expect before. Whereas I think we need to look at the opposite, right? So we don't implement software and then that software changes what we do. We change what we do and then we implement the software to be able to facilitate the things that we change. And that's the way that you should be looking at any kind of software implementation, including anything related to procurement and sourcing, right? Fix the process issue first. Once that process issue is fixed, find the software to be able to facilitate and automate that process. Whereas the vast majority of people don't do that. They find the problem and then try and find the solution to fix that problem, not thinking about how it's going to have downstream effects to the process that we have to change. That's such a great piece of logic there. It's fascinating to me. I've had a version of this conversation several times, even recently, of, you know, there's a human component first, and it's just very logical and set, taking a step back, like you said, and just looking at what actually needs to change here and what are the roadblocks. And for us, it's very much about like, how do people actually behave? That's where we always go to with it. And then on the back end, when you're trying to build processes, like giving people easy ways to do that, but it always starts with human logic and human understanding. So very much people using their tools not the other way around. And that's, I always like to think of technology as just sets of tools for that reason. Because to your point, 
you know, so often it feels like we think like, oh, fabulous. We have this piece of technology that will perform magic for us. And in reality, it's just a tool. And if you don't know how to use it or use it poorly or can't get other people to use it, then it's just a paperweight as it were. Yeah. I mean, this is the perfect example of this is when you think about like a Tonkin or a Zip or another intake type of tool, the goal of that software is to facilitate improvements in intake. But if you are now changing how you do it that adds on additional steps that actually complicates things more, what is the point of having that software in the, in the first place, right? So you want something to simplify what you're doing, not add to it. Right, right, exactly. I, I find this to be true when I am tracking projects and the details of projects. Sometimes I find myself tracking it just for auditability purposes, like internal auditability purposes, and it's actually just slowing me down as opposed to helping me stay organized. So yeah, I have that top of mind myself quite, quite a bit. And you espouse a best of breed mentality, just the idea of, of being really good at one part of your procurement process, which, you know, there's always a tug and pull there. Some people say best of breed's best. Some people say being generally good at everything is best. And obviously best of breed is best in some cases. Is that always better than being generally good at everything? Or only that is an open question. You can tackle that however you want. When I say best of breed, I mean best in breed in terms of software and the problem that software solves. Generally speaking, what I've found, at least with the companies that we work with on a consulting basis, is that the ERP that you implement or the P2P that you implement is not good at everything. It was originally built as a sourcing tool, or it was originally built as a payments tool, or whatever it might be, and then they added on additional features beyond that, whereas the approach to best of breed is we're building something that is for this specific task. After that, then choose the next thing that is good at that specific task if it integrates well. So, you know, while you may have a P2P that's good at a couple of different things, it's not good at everything. And that's why I think the best in breed mentality works because you can't expect something that was originally built to be a payments processing tool to also be good at intake, to also be good at sourcing, to also be good at all of these additional things, because the developers who developed that original tool are thinking through the lens of, oh, this is, we're adding to the tool, we're not making a holistic tool. And so I, I think best in breed, generally speaking, is the best approach. Now, bear in mind, obviously, for large multinational deca-billion dollar companies, for sure, we're going to go P2P and then maybe add on a few pieces here and there. But I, for the vast majority of organizations, I think best in breed is the best approach. That's an interesting point because the, you know, on one hand, when you have multiple apps and if they're doing one thing, you're still dealing with change management all the time. You're switching between apps, which can create friction. But also, I think to your point, using apps that have built-in friction points because they're not purpose-built and they have issues, you sort of have to pick your poison a little bit. And it sounds like what, what you're saying is, yeah, pick the thing that's going to work best and go from there. And, and maybe we just deal with some of the app shifting, the change management that comes along with that. Yeah. And, and I would say that, I mean, for the vast majority of things, you don't really have to deal with that friction if integration works correctly, right? So the, for most, at least for the technologies that are being built right now, integration is at top of mind for most developers because they know that they are a best-in-breed tool and they are going to be integrated with something else. And this, the future success of the platform that they're developing depends upon their ability to integrate. So that may have been the friction may have been the case five years ago, but now today, I would say that's significantly less likely. That's great. 
But so let's talk about negotiation a bit, since that's your bread and butter. So obviously, negotiation is part of the procurement process. But, but why is it such an important part, especially now? How has that role shifted, perhaps, depending on what technology is available, and especially technology like automation and that sort of thing? I mean, it's always been an important part of the procurement process. Now, because the market has shifted in terms of inflation, we need to claw back value in terms of what has been added to goods and services over the last several years, right? So that market shift has created an opportunity for us to be able to gather and collect more value through negotiation. Negotiation is a tool as a part of the procurement process. It is not in and of itself procurement, but it is a tool that can be used during the procurement process. And depending on the category strategy or the overall approach that you're taking to a particular subcategory will determine, generally speaking, how you approach gathering value within that potential category. Negotiation is one of those things. Supplier performance management could be another one of those things. Direct negotiation or strat sourcing could be another one of those things. There could be a number of different ways that you approach value generation within that subcategory. So when we think of it holistically within the overall procurement process, it's a tool that gets to be used. But because we use it so frequently, that's why I believe most procurement people need to be proficient in that, especially now as the market has changed. That's fascinating. And so does it, is it the case that advents of new technology, especially in the last few years, have fundamentally changed that or not at all? New technology has substantially changed negotiation. I would say the strategy and the process probably hasn't changed, but the automation and speed at which negotiations take place is significantly different. I mean, if you look at new technologies like Pactum or Orchestro or many technologies like that, automation of negotiation has taken place at a level that we did not expect. And AI and ML in the negotiation space has dramatically changed the way that we look at things. Because now we can have artificial intelligence negotiate tailspend to a level that we don't have to intervene very much as humans. There's always going to be a little bit of a human touch. But for a lot of tailspend, it's all being automated at this point, which allows us to free up brains to be able to do strategic work, which is pretty exciting, right? Because I mean, if you're going to have brain power working on something, you would hope that it's strategic and not tactical. This episode is brought to you by Tonkeen. Tonkeen's process experience platform seamlessly wraps around existing policies and systems, allowing internal service teams to do more with what they already have. Build process experiences that are personalized for each requester and use AI to automate the intake, triage, and resolution of every request. Maximize adoption, compliance, and efficiency with no change management and no code. Right, exactly. Well, that's a good transition to the next question I have for you, which is, can you describe the difference between strategic spending and a more holistic approach to procurement? Or maybe that's the wrong question. Maybe it's tactical or strategic. Maybe you can disabuse me of the, the wrong nomenclature. Yeah, let's do tactical versus strategic. I think that's probably the best way to look at it. When we think of strategic, we're thinking of, generally speaking, things based on the overall business strategy. So everything should, and you'll hear this from any mature procurement person, everything should tie into the overall business strategy of where we're going, right? So if I have a set goal for 2024, my procurement strategy for a particular subcategory should have a clear line of sight to what that overall business strategy should be. And for that particular subcategory that I have a developed business plan or strategy on, we should be able to see see that clear line of sight. And then that all trickles down into 
how I approach the market. So what my go-to-market strategy is going to be on acquiring goods and services should tie into that subcategory very clearly. The way that many tactical procurement teams look at it is sort of upside down. They say something to the effect of, well, let's look at things at a supplier or a goods and services level, and then hopefully we can tie that into the overall business strategy. And that's sort of creating additional extra work for yourself, because what we are doing with that is we're making an assumption on the direction that we should go. And it's almost like a confirmation bias, right? So we have a hypothesis, and then we go and find data to support that hypothesis so that we can justify the activity instead of finding the data, and then the data tells us what the activity should be, and then us going and performing that activity. Many tactical teams take the confirmation bias approach. They're like, oh, I think the best approach should be for us to go to market. Maybe not. It might be for us to implement supplier performance management in this particular subcategory to be able to drive additional value. It depends on what the data is telling us and depends on what the strategy is for that overall subcategory. Yeah, that's a great note. But I'm curious too, you know, when it comes to the negotiation part, I'm just trying to get into this a little bit because it's it's such a, it's a niche thing and it's just not something that comes up for me a lot in these sorts of conversations. What is the thing you have to explain to people every time? You know, like, I don't, tell me what you do, tell me why it's important. What are the things they don't understand about it? What is the thing that you always get asked or always have to explain? The vast majority of people that I speak to approach negotiation from the perspective of thinking that it's a tactical activity. So what do I mean by that? They, they think it means the sentences that I say, the words that I use, the inflection points that I have in certain points, when in fact the opposite is true. It's much more of a strategic activity that relates to the overall strategy of the business, right? So for example, if I say something a certain way, it may sound more persuasive, but if I don't know what it is I'm trying to persuade you of, that doesn't really matter. It'll sound great, it'll sound impressive, but it may not generate the result that I want because there was no intention set based on the strategy in the first place. So the single biggest thing that I have to convince people of when it comes to the negotiation aspect of things is stop focusing on the script, stop focusing on the words, stop focusing on the inflection points and the tactics Focus on what it is you're trying to generate. What is it that you're actually trying to achieve? And then what are you going to negotiate into the deal to actually achieve that thing? Sun Tzu once said, tactics without strategy is the noise before defeat. Because it's true. If you have great tactics, it doesn't matter if the strategy isn't sound. You'll look amazing on the battlefield, but you'll still lose. So... Having the strategy in place allows you to be able to make sure that you can go to the battlefield confident that even if the tactics fail, the strategy is sound and you're still going to get a victory. Very well said. Well, it ties into what you were saying earlier about having an understanding and a purpose and a plan adhering to a strategy. I had a conversation earlier today with someone in a kind of completely different part of this process who said essentially the same thing. It was like, how do you do the thing that you do? And they said, the first thing I ask these clients is, what are you trying to accomplish or what are your problems? What actually needs to be solved before they did a single thing with the technology? So it sounds like many of you professionals are in good company with one another. <laughs> I, and I read an interesting quote on this the other day. They said, never let a client get away with setting a specific direction or never let it end. Never let a client get away with 
setting that specific direction based on their bias and never let a client get away with not setting a specific direction that's based on their bias that's also filtered by your experience. It has to be based on what it is that they want to achieve and what's good for the overall business. So if I say, well, I want to go this direction because I feel good about it, I would say, okay, but what is the data showing us, right? Your feeling, while maybe warranted, has actually nothing to do with where we should be taking this business. If the data shows that the opposite should be true, then we need to go according to that. And just trying to get people's mind wrapped around that is sometimes very challenging. Because business is emotional. I mean, especially the negotiation business. It's an emotional thing, right? We're dealing with people's assets. We're dealing with something that may have built from you know the junior stages of a business. They have an emotional attachment to something. And for them to manage that emotion, to deal with the reality of what the data is saying is sometimes really hard. That's great. Shifting to our boilerplate questions at the end here, I'm, I want to ask you, what's the best piece of advice you've ever received in your career? The best piece of advice from a negotiation perspective was always care a lot, but not that much. That was advice that I got by Herb Cohen, who is, I think he's 87 now, but in the 80s, he was the rated to be the greatest negotiator in the world, wrote an amazing book called You Can Negotiate Anything. And the advice that he gave me when I was speaking to him was, I want you to care a lot, but not that much. You have to be willing to let go of the emotional attachment that is involved in that, which is really hard because it comes down to a lot of emotional management. That's the best negotiation advice. The best business advice that I got from someone was be ready to quit. I know that sounds contrary to what a lot of motivational speakers would tell you, but if the data is telling you this is a bad direction, don't beat a dead horse. Find something else that works. Those are great pieces of advice and also applicable to life. Carol up and not too much, know when to quit. Great advice. Before we go, is there anything you would like to plug or share about yourself or your company? And if people would like to get a hold of you, how would they best do that? Easiest way to get in touch with me is through LinkedIn. Just type my name into LinkedIn or visit our website, negotiations.ninja. And I would love it if people picked up a copy of my new book, Nine Secrets to Win Deals and Influence Stakeholders. Brilliant. Mark Raffin, thank you so much for talking with us today and sharing your insights and expertise. Hope you have a great one. Thanks for having me. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Modern Business Operations. You can see the show notes and all of the resources mentioned in today's episode at tonkeen.com slash mbopod. Thank you for listening and be sure to subscribe for updates on future episodes. And if you're interested in staying up to date on all things business operations, join the Tonkin community at tonkin.com community.